Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our In the World, Not of It series, which walks through the book of 1 Corinthians, showing how we are citizens of a better country. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, um, if you are a guest with us, thanks for being here. Thanks for taking time for us. Right now, you're coming uh, on a Sunday when we're right in the middle of a series. We're in the, in the middle of a series studying the book of 1 Corinthians. And if you've been with us, then you'll remember 1 Corinthians is a great letter uh, written by Paul to the believers at Corinth. And just to kind of get us all on the same page as we do every week, just a, a little bit of background. Of course, you'll remember with me that Paul at one time was a great persecutor of the church. He did not believe in in Jesus Christ. He was not a follower of Jesus. Although he was a very religious man, Paul uh, never never believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Until about midway through his life, Paul realized that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and Paul received Jesus Christ as Savior. And then after that, Paul became a great church planter. He would travel around and start churches and, and tell people all about Jesus Christ. And He finally came to the town of Corinth, the town of Corinth, and many of you uh, have been with us as we've gone through a few thoughts about the city of Corinth. We know that Corinth was a very wealthy city. We know that Corinth, it was a place of, of much commerce and a place of travel, and Corinth was really, it was one of those cities at the time that it was a place where anything was possible. We've said it this way, as a matter of fact, that uh, you could go from ruin to riches in one generation. Now, in our Americanized culture, that's, that's not too far in our thinking. I mean, we can look at people that, that we know that started with nothing, and, and by the middle or end of their life, they had great wealth. But in this day and age, that was very uncommon. In this day and age, if, if your family was involved in, in uh, um, uh, service, in being a servant or a slave of any sort, uh, you could probably count that that's going to be the case for generations to come. But that wasn't the case in Corinth. Many people wanted to get to Corinth. They wanted to move to Corinth just for that specific purpose of going from ruin to riches, maybe in one generation. I mean, even just the possibility, the dream, uh, perhaps the, just the, the, the opportunity that your family could have if that could happen for you. So while Corinth was a, a place of interest and wealth and commerce and trade and travel, we've also discovered, though, that Corinth was a, um, a place of degradation, a place of immorality. Corinth was a place of what we would probably title just sickening filth and and sin. As a matter of fact, and I've I've said it every week, and I don't want to just repeat it, but really it's, it's good knowledge that Corinth was looked down upon by the known world, even though it was a place of interest and a place that people wanted to move, other other people who were already established, maybe in Athens or in a Rome or in an Ephesus or in a Philippi, they would look at people moving to Corinth or they would look at people who lived in Corinth. And, and because Corinth had such a poor reputation, they, they got that, that insult. And the insult that if, if you really wanted to put somebody down, you'd say, oh, well, you're just, you're just like a Corinthian. Well, why would they say that? Because it was so, so low morally, because it was so looked down upon morally, and because it was a place where uh, people just looked at Corinth and said, man, that place just, sin runs rampant there. But Paul came to town. Paul began to preach Jesus. He was there for 18 months. 
And man, you know what happened is people began trusting in Christ and God began changing lives. And I just want to say this morning, that's what happens. That's what Jesus does. Jesus changes lives. I said it to a friend this week, and I remember saying it years ago. But Jesus never said, change, and then I'll accept you. Jesus said, accept me, and then I'll change you. That's what Jesus does. That's the power of God's word, the, the power of God's spirit that you could take somebody whose life is a wreck. And although there may be uh, maybe some scars from that life being a wreck, Jesus can come in and make all things new. And you can take a, a drunkard who meets Jesus and they become someone who's sober. They can take an, an addict and, and make them somebody who is, who is now in their right mind. I mean, Jesus literally can take an immoral situation and bring morality out of, out of it. The fact of the matter is that with, with Jesus Christ and with God, all things truly become new. And that's what was taking place in Corinth. And people were believing and people were trusting and people were changing. Paul spent 18 months there and then after he would leave. He would leave for a, a period of time, about four years. And, and Paul began to hear, he began to get word that the believers in Corinth, they're, they're actually not doing too good. Paul, as a matter of fact, uh, they've, they've allowed the culture to influence them so much that all of the changes that Jesus was making, they, they began to say, well, we, we really want to hold on to that. Well, I, I know Jesus has something better for me, but I, I, I want to hold on to that sin. And in the first few chapters of the book of Corinthians, we realized that Paul wrote to them about their pride. You see, they had held on to their pride and they had held on so long uh, to their pride that they had be started becoming uh, factionalized. And listen, they had started fighting over who was better. They had started fighting over, over what was taking place and uh, over the, their status and saying, well, I'm better than you because of my status. I'm better than you because I know Paul. I'm better than you because I know Peter. I'm better than you. And they started arguing over that. And Paul wrote to them, hey, your pride, your pride is ruining some friendships your pride is ruining some of your relationships. And Paul wrote to them, hey, get over yourselves. Man, quit, quit being proud and quit uh, being somebody allowing your pride to ruin friendships. And then as we transitioned last week, we moved to chapter number four, or excuse me, chapter number five. And, and what we saw last week is Paul began to address a, a touchy subject. It was touchy then and, and even now. He wrote to them about missing the obvious. Well, what were they missing? Well, they were excusing their sin. Well, what sin was it? I, we're not going to get into it. We'll, we'll look a little bit at it this morning. But 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1, Paul wrote to them, it's commonly reported among you uh, that there's a sin there. Everybody knows about it. You're excusing it. You say, well, what was the sin? Well, the sin was that there was fornication within the church. And remember last week, we talked about the, the touchy subject of, of fornication, any uh, physical activity outside of marriage that, that God speaks against. And we live in a culture that's inundated with that, don't we? We live in a culture where, uh, again, we're, we're not uh, um, trying to be uh, um, um, too out of line this morning, but we live in a culture where the, the, the attitude is sex sells, 
And so if you can advertise to that and, and get people to live immorally and begin to excuse it, everything's okay. And, and we looked at that last week because what was the situation? There was a man within the church that was having relationships with his, with his stepmother. And just something that, that, that even Paul wrote and said, man, that, that type of sin isn't even outside the church, and yet you're excusing it within the church. You're missing the obvious. And last week, we were challenged not to miss the obvious in our life. Well, what is the obvious? Man, sometimes God brings a, 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 a sin to our forefront and allows us to see sin in our life that's hindering our fellowship with him. And we looked last week at how to deal with sin. We've got to first look at ourselves. Like We, we like to deal with everybody else's sin. Right? Maybe you're not like that, but I know I can. I like to say, man, I, I, you know, I mean, even as a pastor, I really hope this, man, I really hope this thought, really hope it gets to them. I really hope this, you know, I, I really feel like they're dealing with bitterness. I hope this will get to them. And, and as, as God helps a pastor do all of that, I understand that. But you know what? We can do, humanly speaking, we can begin to say, well, they need to work on their sin. They need to work on that. And they need to work on that. And they're a gossiper and they're a liar. And they're, no, we need to look at ourselves and look at your own heart. How do we deal with sin? We look at our own heart. When God shows you sin, then, then get it out and get your focus back upon the Lord. And, and we were challenged last week to stop missing the obvious. Well, why? Because God has greater things in store. I'm, I'm gonna talk about it this morning, but listen, sin ruins lives. Don't, don't let the devil trick you that, well, it's just for a season. Well, it'll be fun for now. Well, no one will know. No, listen, there is always repercussion for sin. There is always consequences for sin. And, and while there is forgiveness, yes, we serve a loving, merciful, gracious, forgiving God. Sin always has consequences that take place. And so God says, hey, keep these things out of your life. Why? Because I have something better for you. And I don't know about you, but I want God's best for me. Man, he created life, so he knows what I need in this life. And so what should I want? I should want his plan in my life. And, and Paul wrote to them, stop missing the obvious. This morning, as we come back into our study, Paul, he's going to continue to talk to them about some major issues that were going on. And he's going to get back to even the topic of fornication that we're going to see very briefly this morning. But before we get to it, I just want to ask you, if you've ever had to say to somebody the phrase... Um, that's not what that's made for. You ever had to say that to somebody or has anybody ever said that to you? Um, I, don't, I don't think you're using that quite correctly. Uh, that, that's not what that's made for. Maybe it was a tool used incorrectly and uh, all of us have used a shoe to hammer in a nail. All of us have used a, uh, maybe a hammer to do something that it wasn't made to do. Maybe you've cleaned with something that wasn't the right chemical or you tried cooking with something that wasn't the right ingredient. We've all, we've all had to be told ah, that that's not what that's made for. A few years ago, uh, our son Micah, Micah's made his way into about the last four messages. I just don't know why, but Micah, you're in my messages today. A, few, a number of years ago, Micah was probably about four years old, so this be eight years ago or so. He's playing outside on a, on a I think a fall day, and one of the tree limbs had fallen. We were living in the parsonage right there, still had that tree in the backyard. And, and he walked in with this large stick with, with leaves all over it. And he walked in to, to Hannah, and he, it was about lunchtime. He walked in, he said, hey, Mom, I brought you some food. She looked at him, said, what? He said, I brought you something so you could make your salad today. And he's, he's just dead serious, right? Leaves, green, salad, eat them. It's good for you. 
And Hannah says, well, honey, that's, that's not what we make salad from. Well, sure it is. It's green leaves. You eat green leaves. This looks like the green leaves. And this little four-year-old mine, Hannah had to finally convince him that's, 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 not, that's, not, that's not what we use those for. I remember when I was a kid, I was um, a cereal addict. I'm confessing my faults before you this morning. How many of you enjoy cereal? I still love cereal. Uh, Pastor Rob is a cereal addict. I talk about him often with that. He eats a bowl of cereal. I believe he eats one every night uh, before bed. Some people eat, you know, like ice cream. Robert eats a box of cereal. Uh, (laughs) A bowl, a bowl. When I was young, I truly, and and even to this day, if I allowed myself to, I'd, I'd be a cereal addict. I love cereal um, I recognize that it's not the healthiest thing. That's why I don't eat it as much anymore. But when I was a kid, I didn't really care. And every day I'd wake up, and I'm not exaggerating to say, my mom's here this morning, which thank you for praying for her and praying for my dad. But uh, my mom would tell you, I mean, I, it, wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be an uncommon thing to walk in our house and to see me. You know, you have the normal bowls. You know, you have your normal bowls of cereal. Uh, it wouldn't be uncommon to come in and see me with a mixing bowl. I'm not exaggerating. I'd take a mixing bowl, one of those big ones, and I'd pour as much of the cereal as I could in there, and I'd eat it. And then I'd make another bowl. I'd eat cereal almost till I was sick. And how many of you are with me this morning? You like cereal that much? Okay, there's a couple of you. How many think that's absolutely disgusting? I would never do that in my life. Well, I'm sorry, I did it. <clears throat> but there was one time, I don't know how old I was. I, I am I'm imagining probably about seven or eight years old. I love cereal. I got out, got my cereal. I poured my cereal in there. And then I opened the fridge and I looked and there's no milk. There's nothing more disappointing than already have your bowl out, your cereal poured and opening the fridge. And find, I mean, that is, that's almost as bad as like breaking a limb. It really, is. I've broken my wrist before. I'm kidding, they're not equal. But anyway, I remember opening and, and the milk was, was not there. And I searched and searched and I thought, for sure we have some milk. And I think at the time, maybe we had two refrigerators and I, I searched both. And I just remember searching for milk. And finally, I found some. Finally, I found some milk. Oh man, it was a lifesaver. I thought, yes, this day is good. I poured my milk in my cereal. I walked into the living room, probably a Saturday. <coughs> Excuse me, I sat down. I turned on my, my TV shows that I would watch cartoons on Saturday, and I remember I took a bite of that cereal, and I began chewing. And I began thinking, man, um, this just doesn't taste right. This doesn't taste right. I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe it's morning breath. Maybe, you know, maybe there's a bad taste in my mouth from last night. I took another bite. Oh, Man, this is horrible. I mean, the, maybe the cereal. No, it's the milk. The milk went bad. I thought, oh, man. So I got up and I went in. I said, Mom, I said, our milk's bad. And the conversation, I don't remember word for word, but would go something along this line. Mom, the, the milk's bad. She said, honey, we don't have any milk. Yes, we do, Mom. I used, I used milk in my cereal and it's bad. She said, honey, we don't have any milk. You use something else. No, mom, it said buttermilk. I know. Yeah, I know now. Eight-year-old mind, buttermilk. It's milk, right? This one just, 
Maybe it's healthier. I don't know. And I used buttermilk in my cereal, and my mom had to tell me, son, that's not what that's made for. <laughs> Unless you're Sam Stewart, right? Brother Sam loved, he had a glass of buttermilk almost every day, didn't he? Love buttermilk. I, <clears throat> I remember her telling me, and, and through the years, I'd have to have that be said to me, not about buttermilk. I learned that day. Buttermilk does not go in, that's not what it's made for. As you and I come to 1 Corinthians chapter number six, this is what Paul is dealing with. Oh, oh, not them misusing buttermilk. No, Paul is dealing with them misusing their life, their body, their mind, their heart. And Paul writes to them, hey, you're using your life for something that it wasn't made for. That, that, that's not what you were created for. That's not what your life should be used for. And I want you to notice some thoughts with me this morning as Paul helps them and understand what our mind, our heart, our life, our body should be used for. Notice, if you will, 1 Corinthians chapter number six. Stand with me. We're just gonna read two verses this morning and then we'll jump into <coughs> the entire chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter number six this morning. And let's read verse 19 and 20. Paul writes this. Know ye not, that your body is the temple, is the dwelling place of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and, and ye are not your own. For or because you're, you're bought with a price. Therefore, because of this, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Paul says to these believers, he says, hey, you're using your life and your body for the, the wrong purposes. Your life and your spirit, your spirit and your body is your heart should be used to glorify God. This morning, I want to talk to us about this idea that we often go through life using our life for the wrong things. And today, I want to give you the same words that Paul would give to the church at Corinth, the believers at Corinth. That's not what you're made for. Listen, God has higher living for us. Don't use your life for something it shouldn't be used for. Well, you say, well, pastor, well, what are my options? I'm glad you asked. Let's pray. We'll dive into it this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take just a minute? <clears throat> And ask God to speak to you this morning. God, please speak to me this morning. And then would you commit, God, as you speak to me, I'm gonna listen to you today. God, please speak to me. Please use me. And as you speak to me, I'm listening to you today. Dear Lord, we come before you. We thank you for the word of God. And Father, I'm so thankful today that your word truly applies to every area of our life. I wanna pray right now, Lord, that you would help us. I pray that you would use the words that I'm about to say, that they would be your words and not mine. I pray that you'd help me with conveying the truth of scripture today. I pray that you'd help each of us as listeners, that we would truly listen, apply your truth, and see how you want it to be applied to our hearts and to our lives today. We love you. We thank you for loving us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> As we start this morning, I want us to notice what the people of Corinth were, 
were using their bodies, their lives, their hearts, what they were using their lives for. I want you to notice from the first eight verses that they, the believers were using their lives for selfish reasons. They were using their lives to accomplish what they wanted and not what God wanted. Well, where do we see this? Go to verse number one. Verse number one, Paul writes this to these believers of 1 Corinthians chapter number six. He says, dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust. That means to go to law to to take a case to court before a, a lost court, people that don't know Jesus and not before the saints. Do you not know that the saints shall, shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life, if then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are the least esteemed in the church. I, I speak this to your shame. It is so that there is, uh, or is it so that there is not a, a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren, but brother goeth to law with brother and that before unbelievers. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud and that your brethren. What was taking place in the church there from these verses, we can very quickly discover that the believers at Corinth, they were, going to, uh, they were going to court against other believers, but they were doing it outside of the church. And they weren't, they weren't going to court, and this is something we need to understand this morning based upon the Greek and the way this is written. They weren't going to court based upon illegal matters. It, it, it wasn't a situation where, um, uh, again, I'm not... It wasn't a situation where someone had, had killed somebody and, and, well, you better deal with that just within the church or something of immorality or something like that that they're, that they're dealing with. No, when you look at verse number seven and it says, why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Yea, ye do wrong and defraud and that your brethren. What they were doing is they were going to court and suing each other just to take advantage of each other. They were going to court and trying to uh, get the upper hand. They weren't trying to solve illegal uh, situations. They were just trying to go to court because they wanted stuff. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to take you to court because I want what you have. I'm going to take you to court. I'm going to find some fault about you. And they were defrauding or taking advantage of. And their selfishness and their lives, it, it wasn't only showing up with how they dealt with sin, what we saw last week by excusing it. But their selfishness, it was showing up by their greed and their desire to to simply come out on top. And Paul writes to them, I speak this to your shame. Hey, this is something that shouldn't be done. You shouldn't be going to the unbelievers to solve little petty issues. You shouldn't be going to the unbelievers to try to take advantage of those that, that you fellowship with. No, that is something you should go to the mind of the Lord about. Hey, if you see a matter of somebody in the church has offended you, you shouldn't take it without the church. You should be able to go to them. Matthew 18 uh, deals with a lot of that. And plus, in all of this, they were being a, a poor testimony to the lost. Now, I, I almost thought about just breaking this up and preaching just these eight verses, but 
in order for us to stay on target of being done with this series by the end of the year and not the end of next year. We can't do that. So let me just give you a brief synopsis of these first eight verses, make some application, and we'll move on. Do we all realize that every single one of us can be driven in every relationship by pride? Do we realize that this morning? Everybody can be, your, your marriage, you can be driven by pride. Would you agree with that? Yeah, we would all agree with that. Any relationship driven by pride, any relationship, I'm gonna come out on top. And if somebody does me wrong, well, I'm going to retaliate. I'm going to do them wrong. That was the entire mindset within the church. And here's what Paul wrote to them in these first eight verses. He says, don't you know that someday, and we're not gonna really hit on the topic, but I'll just give it out there. Someday, you're going to judge the world. Well, what's he talking about? Well, we can go to the book of Revelation and we can get in and discover that during the millennial reign of Christ, believers are going to rule and reign with Jesus. Well, Pastor Dennis, what does that look like? I don't know. I'm not there yet. Well, what does that mean? Who are we going to judge? Well, we're going to judge the world. We're going to judge people that are living in the world. And the Bible also says that we're going we're to judge the angels. Well, Pastor, that, what does that mean? I don't know. I'm not there yet. I can give you my opinion. I think we'll be judging the fallen angels. I think that God might be having us uh, judge in some sort of way. We know we're going to be judging those who will live on the earth. We know people will live on the earth during the millennial reign of Christ. And so here's what Paul writes to them. If you're going to end up judging in the afterlife, you're going to end up judging during the millennial reign of Christ that thousand years. And if God's going to enable you to do that, don't you think that God could enable you right now to deal with little petty issues? Don't you think God could help you deal with little situations, these little scuffles, this little stuff? Well, they cut me off. Well, their kid beat up my kid. Well, their kid, I remember when I was in Lakewood, I've told the story many times, but uh, in the nursery, Dennis was like three years old and somebody else's kid stabbed him with a pencil. And, and like stabbed his foot with a pencil. Now, how they got a pencil, I had all these questions. I mean, I was on staff and I was like, we have regulations, we have rules, we have this, we have that. How dare your kid do that to my kid? You know, and all this stuff. And then I felt like, they're kids. Like it's gonna happen. Those of you that are dealing with your first child, I'm sorry, your children are going to get hurt. Like, unless you like put them in a bubble and wrap them, they're still gonna get hurt in bubble wrap. They're gonna get hurt. Right? Every parent with a newborn, with your first child, you're like, how dare you? Second child, you're like, oh, please don't do that. Third child, you're like, they'll grow. Fourth child, you're like, I have four children. Right? It's just the, the parenting thing. So as a first parent, first child, man, I was just like, what is going on? And I remember thinking, well, I, we've got to deal with this. And then I just realized, like, it's okay. Like, they were three-year-olds, and it... it it happened, and he'll heal, and we're okay. You know what I could have done? Man, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue you for your kids being, being negligent, and your three-year-old should know, your four-year-old should know not to stab my three-year-old with a pencil. You, you should raise your kid better. You should, right? I could have done that, couldn't I? I could have done that, but whose, whose advantage would that have been? My advantage, it wouldn't have helped anything. You know how we dealt with it? Do you know how we dealt with it? We dealt with it by having a nursery workers meeting, 
hey, let's make sure we keep pencils out of the kids, you know, uh, opportunity to grab them. And I met with those parents and said, hey, it's okay, we forgive. Let's, let's make sure that the boys know to play kinder together and all of this stuff. And, and it was dealt with properly. And still to this day, if I saw that family, I'd give them a hug. I love them. They're good friends. I'm fine with all of that. But you know what would have happened had I been like, how dare you? You know who would have got hurt? Well, our friendship would have got hurt and it would have hurt the testimony of that church. Does that make sense this morning? And so here's what I want to get at this morning. Some of you are like, oh no, should I go check on my kid in the nursery? I hope they're okay, all right? I'm just saying, we have great nursery workers, just throwing that out there. But you know what? The truth is that if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can begin to become like the, the believers in Corinth and, and finding issues to have an issue with. I apologize beforehand to all of the teenage girls in here right now for what I'm about to say. But every, and and ladies that went through being a teenager, I apologize to you for what I'm about to address, but it's just truth. Every teenager, boy or girl, about 11 to about 15, life is drama. And maybe not every teenager, but probably like, you know, 99.8%, something like that. But if you have a teenager in your home, or if, you've ever, if you ever were a teenager in your home, life's drama. Right? It's like, oh, they, I got a bowl out for cereal, and they took my bowl. Okay, get another bowl. But you don't understand, I got that bowl. That was my bowl. I got, I got that bowl. I wanted the red bowl. Where's the red bowl? We'll get the blue bowl. I want the red bowl. Get, 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 get. If you don't know, borrow some of our teenagers for a couple days. Really, I think it starts probably about 10 years old, maybe eight. But anyway, that, that's, just, that's just kind of what comes. Some of you are like, oh, no, we have that to look forward to? Oh, yeah. It's awesome. You know what Christians do sometimes? Christians act like a junior higher in drama world. I can't believe you did that. Don't you know? Don't you know that that is? And we lay claim to things and we begin to find offenses. And then if we're not careful, we can allow it to affect how other people look at the church and look at you as a believer because it doesn't only just happen in here, it happens out there. And here's what, here's what they were doing. Well, they, that guy did that to me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take him to court. And the court systems, it's crazy. I really should have just done a whole message on this, but I didn't. Did you know that at that time, we don't know a lot about the courts at, the courts at Corinth, but we do know about um, Athens, and it would have been the same court system. Uh, every court case, so I'll just give you a few thoughts. Um, every single adult, when you hit 30 years old, 30 to 60, you would, be, you would have to serve in a jury, kind of like we do in our system. But their juries consisted of at least 1,000 people. There are some cases they have on record in Athens where 6,000 people set on a court case. 6,000 people on a court case. From 30 to 60, you would serve as a juror. At the age of 60, every adult, from the research I have, every adult would be required by law to become a lawyer. 
and serve on some sort of case as the lawyer or the, uh, uh, the advocate or the adjudicator, somebody who would, who would be there to stand and to say, uh, here's what's going to take place and all of that type of stuff. So from 30 to like 65 years old, everybody of that age group knew what was going on in town. They all had a working knowledge of law because they were either a juror or a, uh, an attorney of some sort, or they, uh, I mean, they knew what was going on with, with the cases because of being on the jury. So in this time, if some, I mean, talk about hanging out your dirty laundry. Here's the church, here's the believers. Well, I can't believe you did that, Brother Jim. I'm, gonna, I'm taking you to court. Well, you know what that means? A thousand people outside of the church are gonna find out that me and Jim who go to church together, oh, they go, they're that new, that new they're of that way, Christianity called the way at that time. They're, they're of the way. Well, what, what's the case over? Oh, well, Dennis thinks Jim took his coat. So he's suing him for his house. You say, pastor, that's, that's crazy. This is what Paul is writing about. You're going to court to defraud your brother. What you're trying to take advantage of, you're trying to uh, get, gain an a, um, um, advantage over somebody. And here's what Paul is saying to them. He's saying, hey, what you're doing is you're, you're, you used to do things that way. You're, you're dragging your philosophies and you're dragging your immoralities and you're, you're dragging your litigation attitudes within the church. And, and remember, the whole concept of this whole series is they were becoming more like the culture around them than the, than the Christ that was within them. And here's what Paul writes to them. Hey, don't you know? Don't you know that I'm speaking this to your shame? Man, don't do that. One author said it this way, to take the problems of Christians and discuss them before the unjust and unbelievers was to weaken the testimony of the gospel. Man, you are hindering the opportunity to reach your city if you're doing this. So what does he say to do? 1 Corinthians 6, 7, and 8, he says that there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud and that your brother. Can I just say this morning, that one of the things that a Christian should do is understand the law of deference. The law of deference. And you say the word with me. The law of what? The law of? The law of deference. What does deference mean? It means I defer. I don't have to be right. Suffer yourself to be defrauded. Well, what's that mean? Get taken advantage of. And again, Understand, I'm not talking about illegal things. I'm not, I'm not talking about things that clearly go against the God's word. Now, here's what I'm talking about. Uh, if, somebody, uh, if somebody, you know, picks up your Bible and claims that it's theirs, okay. So I was joking with some folks this morning about taking someone else's seat. Somebody takes your seat. You don't need their seat. It's okay. Somebody, uh, somebody grabs your coat. Well, this is my Moses Lake Baptist Church sweatshirt. Okay. You say, Pastor, all that stuff's silly. Yeah, but listen, the devil likes to use anything to hinder our fellowship with others. And here's what Paul is saying. Man, suffer yourself to be defrauded. It's okay. The sad results of the church members trying to solve personal problems in the public court was that nobody really wins except the devil. Man, only the devil won. What were they using their life for? They were using their lives for selfish gain. I want to say this morning that 
If we're not careful, we too can go through life not caring about who we hurt or what it costs. We, we go through only concerned about ourselves, and that's not what you and I are made for. What does Paul say? No, instead of suing each other and taking advantage of each other, instead of retaliating, suffer yourself the wrong. Hey, allow yourself to go through and, and be defrauded. The, even non-Christian Plato at the time said the really good man will always choose to suffer wrong rather than do wrong. One man wrote it this way, vengeance for a Christian is absolutely absurd. It is absolutely absurd. A Christian does not order his acts by recompense or by a desire for revenge. No, a Christian orders his acts by love and forgiveness, and a Christian will always seek peace at any cost. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 39 and 40, but I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if he will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Hey, listen, in life, people are going to mistreat you. Be a Joseph and choose I don't have to retaliate. At VBS this week, we talked about Joseph all week, and one of the themes of Joseph's life, Genesis 37, uh, or Genesis 37, and then Genesis 39, all the way through chapter number 50, go read the life of Joseph. Joseph was mistreated, taken advantage of, lied about, and what did he do? He just said, hey, God's in it. Hey, God's, God, God's got this. Hey, you guys meant it for evil when you sold me into slavery, but God meant it for good. And while you may not have the mentality of, I'm going to take someone to court, we often have the mentality of, how can I get even? How can I get ahead? And the Christian mindset, my mindset should be, if someone does me wrong, I'm not going to retaliate. What were they doing? They were using their lives for selfish reasons, but also they were using their lives for sinful reasons. I'm not going to spend much time on this point because we talked a lot about it last week, but I just want to read the verses with you. Look with me at verse number nine. <clears throat> know ye not that the unrighteous, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor, adul nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Hey, all things are, are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought into the power of any. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body, it's not for fornication, but it's for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the, the members of Christ and make them the, the members of an harlot? Now, just real quick, remember, they had the worship of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, the goddess of lust. And Paul's writing to them, and remember in, their, in that temple, there was... Uh, trafficking and prostitution taking place. And Paul says, hey, listen, when you use your body for that type of a sin, you're dragging the Lord right into it. Should we do that? God forbid. What? Know you not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body for two, saith he shall be one flesh, but he that is joined, I just did something wrong. I went backwards. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. 
Now, again, and we talked about this last week, but these believers, they were not only defined by selfishness, but their life was also defined by sin. Everybody on the outside of the church at Corinth looked within. That phrase in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1, it is commonly reported. Hey, it is common knowledge among you that you're just letting sin happen. You're not dealing with it. You're not dealing with any fornication. And what Paul writes in these verses saying, hey, you're missing the point. You're using your body to fulfill these physical pleasures, these sexual pleasures that God never intended it for. Now, again, I'm, we're, we're, we're just going to talk about this, and we're maturing here. We can talk through some things and understand uh, um, the, the desire this morning is to just point to the Word of God. But, but we need to understand this, and I stated it last week. God, God designed sex. God designed it for a couple, married couple, and God said, it's like, this is my wedding gift to you. And it's something for a married couple, and that's it. And God says it can be fulfilling and great and all of that stuff. And we're not, we're not gonna talk about it this morning. I just wanna say that statement. But the world says, well, it's just an appetite. Well, it's just part of life. And I'm going to say this this morning. I realize in our, in, our, in, our, in the audience this morning, I realize there's probably 12 and 13 and 14-year-olds that would, mom and dad would say, well, you know, we've had a little bit of that talk, but we haven't gone down that road yet. Listen, go down that road. Well, why? Because culture is going to. School is going to. Public school, Christian school, friends, church friends. Why? Because our culture is inundated with this. It's just an appetite. From the 60s, we gained the statement, if it feels good, do it. Right? The 60s and 70s, we, that whole hippie era came out of that. Well, if it feels good, do it. Man, if that does not define our culture right now, I don't know what else does. You say, well, pastor, this is a VBS Sunday. Why don't we talk about nights and like fun things? Because we've got to address issues like this. You know what the devil's going to do? The devil's going to help Christian young men say, hey, pornography's nothing. You know what the devil's going to do? He's going to help Christian young women and, and married women and married men to say, well, a little, little flirting just doesn't, it, 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 it doesn't do anything wrong. That's just a little friendship. Well, it's just a little thing on Snapchat. Well, it's just a little thing on TikTok. Well, it's just, it's just a little social media. Well, it's just, you know, it used to be AOL chatting. Oh, it's just a chat room. Yeah, the devil starts out with, hey, it's just, it's just small. But pretty soon it grows. And here's what happened in the church at Corinth. Now, the, the believers at Corinth, their testimony, what people knew them as was, oh, that's the fornicating church. What a testimony. What a testimony. Here's what Paul writes to him. Don't use your life for that. Man, don't, don't do that stuff. Don't get involved in that. Should, should we do that? Should I go and allow my body to be used for that? God forbid. No, don't you know that once you get saved, oh, listen, this is so good. Don't you know that once you get saved, man, God moved in. And what does he want to do? He, take, he wants to take all that sin 
and he just wants to help you continue to overcome it. I'm so thankful today for our theme for the year. What's our theme for the year? We're more than conquerors. Man, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Hey, listen, some of you, I'd I'd love it. I love the verse. I'm so excited about it. I'm serious. Like, you're like, Pastor, you're egging. No, I love the verse. I love when he says to them, and such were some of you. But you're washed. Man, you're sanctified. Man, God has moved in. Hey, and what does God do? Later, he's gonna write in the book of 2 Corinthians, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away. All things are made new. Hey, listen, that may be what used to define you, but it shouldn't define you now. So stop using your life for sinful reasons. Understand that there's always a price to pay for sin. Now, there's always a price to pay for sin. Yes, God will forgive it, but that doesn't make it right and that doesn't make it smart. And Paul writes to them, hey, just make it the logical thing. It's not meats for the belly and belly for meats. That, that's, that's the idea of, well, it's just, a spirit, it's just an appetite thing. No, no, no. And even though it may not even be against the law, it's not expedient for you. It's not good for you. It's not something that you want to get into. Listen, there is always a price to pay for sin. Solomon wrote this in Proverbs 9, 17 through 18. Stolen waters are, are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that their guests are in the depths of hell. So what do we do? Verse 18, flee fornication. But I want to say this morning, run from sin. Some of you today, there, there may be some area of, of uh, um, uh, sensual sins or things in your life, but others, it might be what we talked about, of bitterness or of gossip or of lying or of deceit or, or of stealing or, or of some habit or something like that. Hey, here's, here's what Jesus said. Here's what Paul wrote. Hey, run from it. Why? Because there's a price always to pay. Man, there's a price always to pay. I, I'm passionate about it this morning. I've just, I, I've just, see, I've just, Ah, I've just seen how sin just wrecks lives and it wrecks marriages and it wrecks churches and it, it wrecks countries and it wrecks people. I tell you how many people have said in my office or how many phone calls I've had of, of friends and of people that I know that just say, man, I, I just wish I would have. I just wish I would not have. Sin ruins things. And yes, God forgives. Aren't you thankful we have a forgiving God? Yes, yes, none of us are perfect. Yes, I know all of that. But don't excuse it. Say, God, keep it before me. My sin is ever before thee, so God, keep it before me. And then when I'm tempted, man, run. Run from it. Why? You don't know the price. You don't know the price of that one little click. You don't know the price of that one little white lie. You don't know the price of that one thing stolen. You don't know the price of that one little bit of bitterness that's harbored. You don't know the price of that one piece of gossip. You don't know the price. And let me tell you, man, sin, the the old statement, it's always going to take you further than when you want to go and cost you more than when you want to pay, more than, than you want to pay. Man, sin is a price. Hey, don't use your life for sinful things. What were the believers at Corinth doing? They were using their life for selfish reasons. They were using their life for sinful reasons. So what does Paul say? And where do we close this morning? Instead, use your life for the Savior. Man, instead, use your life for him. What's the verse? The verse is, what? Man, know ye not? This is the sixth time that Paul has used that phrase, know ye not or do ye not know. Know ye not that your body... 
Man, it is the temple of God. It is the dwelling place of God, of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. And you're not your own because you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What is Paul saying? He's saying, hey, God's given you this beautiful thing called life. And you'll be most fulfilled when you use it for its best purpose. Buttermilk is not made for cereal. No, buttermilk is made for buttermilk cake. You want to know what buttermilk cake is? It is the best cake you'll ever eat in your entire life. It, it, many of you, we've brought it to the church fellowships, Hannah auctions that offer the teen auction. Buttermilk cake is life-changing. <laughs> Jesus, getting saved, getting married, buttermilk cake. <laughs> Having kids. Just kidding. <laughs> Listen, buttermilk cake, it, it's up there. Some of you know I love chocolate peanut. I love anything chocolate peanut butter. I would rather have buttermilk cake than anything chocolate peanut butter any day. Any day. Say, Pastor, don't you love Reese's? Yes. What if they made Reese's buttermilk cake? I would, I would eat that all the time. I would be very unhealthy. Buttermilk, cake's used, or buttermilk is used for buttermilk cake. And listen, and I'm not trying to just, I am being funny, and I, I know we understand that this morning. But buttermilk is best in buttermilk cake. Well, why? Because that's what it's used for. Now, it's used for other ingredients, I understand that, but it's best in what it should be used for. You know what's best in cereal? Whole milk. Don't give me 1%, don't give me 2%, don't give me skim. Don't give me oat milk. If you give me almond milk, I, will, I would rather use water. <laughs> and I've done it before. You know, you, know, you, know, it's, you, know, you know what cereal needs? Red cap. Give me the red cap. You bring me a blue cap or a green, you bring me a green cap. No, we, that's that we will add fat to. We will, we'll just put butter in there and churn it ourselves. <laughs> give me red cap for my cereal. Why? That's what it's made for. You say it's made for it? In my book, it is. Yeah, the, the, best, the best milk is cold and in a bowl of peanut butter Captain Crunch. <laughs> say, Pastor, why, why all the crazy illustrations? I just want us to understand this thought this morning. You're most fulfilled, and I am most fulfilled when we're truly being used what we were made for. Well, what were we made for? Glorify him. Well, why? We've been bought with a price. Well, what was the price? For as much as you know that you, were not, you, you weren't redeemed, you weren't bought with corruptible things, things that just pass away as, as silver and gold. And you weren't saved from your vain conversation from those things. Received by tradition from your fathers, but you were bought with the precious blood of Christ and as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hey, you know what happened is when Jesus, oh man, listen. I really wish I could convey to you
do you realize that when Jesus died, the Bible says that he literally became sin. All of sin was placed upon him on that day. Every sin, every bad thought, every bad word, every bad action, hey, every murder, hey, every, every addiction, hey, every lie that was told, all, all of your sin, all of the sin of everybody in here, but listen, the sin of all humanity. And we could all think of some, we could think of some sinful people, couldn't we? We could think of some sinful leaders, maybe like a Napoleon or a Genghis Khan or, a, or an Adolf Hitler or an Osama bin Laden and all the terrorist acts. All of it, all of it was put on Jesus Christ. And he did it because he loves you. He loved them. He loves your kids. He loves you and he, he paid the price with his blood. He was the only submittable sacrifice to die for your sin. If he died for it, why do we continue to indulge in it? It's not gonna get us anywhere. And he died for sin. You were bought with a price. That's what Paul is getting at because of that. Therefore, hey, since you, since you belong to him, use your life for him. Quit using it for you. Quit using it for your 401k. Quit using it for your, your next position at, at work. Quit using it to, to, get that, to get that better house and that better car. And they're, they're, listen, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. There, there's nothing wrong with that. The, the American dream, right, just to get more. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong when, when God enables you to get a promotion and God uses you to, to up it at work or, or whatever the case might be or grows your 401k. There's nothing wrong with that. But when it becomes what you live for, that's not what you were made for. And this week, you and I, we're going to have an opportunity to be a light in a, in a world that is dark. And you're going to be rubbing shoulders with coworkers that need Jesus. And if you're just using your life for selfish reasons or, or sinful reasons or just your, your, own, your own gain, you're missing what you're made for. Hey, listen, you're whole milk. Hey, you're not made to be watered down. Man, I'm, I'm like buttermilk in that buttermilk cake. I'm made to, I'm made to help sweeten things. I'm made, you like that? I'm, I'm made to help sweeten things. I'm, I'm made to help make things better. I'm made to, I'm salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its savor, it's good for nothing. Except to be cast out and trodden underfoot of men just to, to fill in the cracks. Oh, there's still a use. Listen, there's still a use for unsavory salt. It fills in the cracks but it's not what it was made for. You know, Paul's trying to get across to them. He's trying to get this across to them. Your life is made for him and you'll be best fulfilled when you use it for him. So this morning, I just want to close. I want to challenge you with the thought of using your life to glorify God. Well, pastor, how do I do that? Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you do what? Present your bodies. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the, the renewing, the continual making new of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and perfect or acceptable and perfect will of God.
What do I do? Hey, every day, give your life to the Lord. Hey, every day, renew your mind by the water of his word. Hey, every day, seek God. Hey, every day, get with God. Hey, every day, God, I need you. Why? Because I don't want to use my life for me. God, I don't want to use my life for selfish reasons. God, I don't want to use my life for sin. Lord, I want to use my life for you. Why? Because I was made for you. And so renew my mind today. God, purify, help my heart today. And when God shows me sin, run from it. And when God shows me opportunity, run to it. And just understand today that you and I, we were made for so much more than we allow ourselves to live because we were made to glorify God. One man said it this way, it is important that we live like those who are a part of God's new creation. We are not our own. We belong to the Father who made us, the Son who redeemed us, and the Spirit who indwells us. And so I ask you this morning, what are you using your body, your mind, your heart, and your life for? Are you driven by selfishness, your way or the highway? unapproachable at work, never wrong with your siblings, never wrong with your spouse, always coming out on top. If you are, quit using your life for selfishness. Why? That's not what you're made for. You using it for sinful reasons? Does Satan have a foothold in your life? Are you using it to fulfill that area that you don't think anybody knows about? Hey, that's not what you were made for. Confess it, forsake it, and move forward. Will you make the decision this morning, God, I want to use my life for you. I pray this morning that everyone would say, God, help me. Help me not to use my life to fulfill my selfish and sinful desires. Help me to use it to glorify you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.